Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. A Saudi-Iranian regime re-engagement? Or is it a Saudi bow to its Iranian frenemies, enemies, or adversaries? We're going to find out on Inside in the Middle East, our Middle East, together with my host, Khaled Abotuame, and special guest, Dr. Harold Rode. Please join us. Shalom from Jerusalem. This is our Middle East with Khaled Abotuame and myself, Dan Diker, together with our special guest, Dr. Harold Rode. We're going to be talking about Saudi Arabia, Iran, and China today. What does it mean for the United States? What does it mean for Israel? A supposed rapprochement, as they say in French, or is it really a Saudi bow to its Iranian adversary? Or is it frenemy? Or is it enemy? We are going to figure this out on inside, uh, in inside discussion on the Middle East. Welcome, Khaled Abutuame, uh, after a week in San Francisco, Los Angeles, New York, back to the Middle East. Uh, Middle East is uh, never static, is it, Khaled? Yeah, well, we came back to uh, major developments. Uh, this whole Saudi-Iranian pact really came as a surprise uh, to many of us. But, uh, you know, today we'll discuss the implications and see what does it mean. Who are the winners and who are the losers? Who are the people who are welcoming it and who are those who are, and which parties are expressing concern over it? Right, Harold Road, uh, you and I are both students of the great, late and great Professor Bernard Lewis, who always used to say, he, he always used to say, uh, everything is possible in the Middle East, nothing is impossible in the Middle East. What do you think? Well, <laughs> It's sad. Why? The question is, why did the Saudis go uh, to reestablish to Iran to reestablish diplomatic relations? The Saudis see the Iranians as an eternal uh, enemy. Uh, They don't want this, but the Saudi Arabia in the end is weak, and it needs basically the support of a superpower of someone that will protect it. And back in 1945, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the American president, met the Saudi king at the time, Abdul Aziz, and uh, they made a deal that America would put the Saudis under an American umbrella, military umbrella, protected in return for a free flow of oil. Now, the problem with America is that it is whimsical. 
One day they're your friend. One day, you know, they, they forget you exist. As, again, you mentioned Bernard Lewis. He used to say, America is a harmless enemy and an unreliable ally. The point being is that America abandoned Saudi Arabia. And no one is going to, because of the whims of President Biden in this case, before he was elected in the presidential campaign, he said uh, he, he was vitriolic against the Saudis. He belittled, he dishonored the, uh, the real ruler of Saudi Arabia. It's not the king, it's his son. Uh, Mohammed bin Salman, who is, they call him MBS for short, he put him down. He blamed him for killing this Khashoggi. Everybody here, oh my God, an American journalist. No, he was the Saudi Muslim Brotherhood man. And if you look at who and what he was, he was a despicable human being. And what, um, and here's the problem. The American government has no proof whatsoever that Mohammed bin Salman actually ordered the uh, the murder of Khashoggi. So what, we, what we're seeing, Harold, is is this a, an act of revenge by the uh, by the Saudi government, the United States, and as as, as a switch to its uh, other adversary, I would even say arch enemy for a number of years, uh, uh, the Iranian regime. There's something to that. Uh, Americans have a, a phrase, oh, that's history, something that happened yesterday, doesn't matter. And uh, Biden said all these awful things. In the Middle East, shaming somebody is one of the worst things. At times, it's even worse than killing somebody. People, their reputation, their honor. And that's what the Saudi, what Biden did to the Saudi, the, the person who caused the shots. Let's call him the number two, the real, in fact, ruler of Saudi Arabia now. How do we know this? He didn't say, he didn't curse him or anything like that, um, the Saudi ruler. But Biden, when he came after this humiliation, he arrives in Saudi Arabia, in Jeddah, and he is met at the airport in Jeddah by the deputy governor of the province instead of his, let's say, co-equal. If it can't be the king, then it should have been MBS. So the, the Americans have seen this uh, coming down the road. They see this, and it's, it's interesting because one can ask, uh, did America uh, fall asleep at the wheel? Because this, any way you look at this, this is a big blow to the United States, even though the United States uh, brought it on itself. They, and, and, and I want to move to the next point and ask Khaled, you know, it's extraordinary. The United States blessed, you saw this, uh, blessed this move in a major declaration. The Arab East blessed this move. Every Arab country uh, in the region blessed this move and congratulated both sides for what they call uh, what they call discussion and dialogue and diplomacy over violence. What what I think might be of concern, and I'd like to get Khaled's, in, you know, his, his, his deep understanding of this. We also saw um, congratulations from Hamas, from uh, uh, from the, the Islamic uh, PFLP, Jihad. Islamic Jihad. Every faction of the Palestine Liberation Organization also blessed this move. So now you have an alignment with Western democracies and, uh, and uh, you know, self-declared Islamic and, uh, and Marxist-Leninist terror organizations together with the West. Doesn't this make the, 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 the free world look kind of ridiculous? Uh, absolutely done. Uh, each time I see Hamas, Islamic Jihad, and all the bad guys uh, celebrating something, that's bad news. 
It's bad news for all those who want to promote peace. It's bad news for all the moderate Arabs and Muslims. It's bad news for Israel, and it's bad news, of course, for the Biden administration. But as our friend uh, Harold said, the Americans brought this on themselves. Uh, this is very bad. This is a very severe blow to America standing in the Arab world, in the Middle East, uh, to its prestige. This is a slap in the face, as some of these Palestinian organizations called it yesterday. They see it as marking the beginning of the end of U.S. what they call U.S. hegemony uh, over the region. They're saying U.S. out, China, Russia in. And that's what I mean when I say that this is a very severe blow to America's standing, and I believe it will have long-term repercussions on America's prestige and standing in the Arab world and in the region. If you show any signs of weakness, you empower all the bad guys, all the radicals. Now, what are these groups saying? You know, I was uh, listening yesterday and reading what Hamas and Islamic Jihad were saying. They're saying this is a major blow to the Abraham Accords. That's very important. They're actually saying Saudi Arabia has, has voted against joining the Abraham Accords at a time when the Palestinians were very worried about the possibility that Saudi Arabia would join the Abraham Accords. You know, we were all expecting uh, Saudi Arabia to announce to, or to make some kind of an announcement that they are joining the Abraham Accords, and here they come and do the exact opposite, which is uh, throw themselves into the open arms of Iran. Yeah, but then, then again, here's the, here's the real question that, that I saw actually in our Iran group uh, mm -hmm. on, uh, uh, on Twitter. This is, is a Twitter group. As Michael Sussman asked the question, actually, does it mean, does it, does it mean that, uh, that Saudi Arabia will act against this interest, which is basically to uh, embrace to a certain extent or certainly dance with Israel as, as it had given the green light to its, uh, uh, its, to its um, let's call it Gulf family, Bahrain and uh, the UAE uh, to engage uh, with Israel. And doesn't that reflect its, its direct interest anyway, even though it looks like this head-on collision because of this new uh, re-engagement with the Iranian regime? I mean, Harold, I mean, in other words, it's not necessarily it, it, the destruction, the end of the Abraham Accords, is it? Everything in, in the Middle East, uh, things can go up and down uh, in a day. There's a marvelous Arabic phrase, a day of honey and a day of onions. And what it means is one day you're having a great time. It's sweet and everything. The next day, onions, which means crying and sadness and all that. Yom Asal, Yom, yom Basal, exactly. Yeah. And... And uh, it doesn't have to remain this way. The Gulfies know very, very well that their long-term interests are with a serious <laughs> America, with the, let's put it, the, the, the uh, un-Chinese alliance, including Japan, South Korea, Australia, India, Vietnam, the Gulfies, Israel, and if America, they want America to lead this. And America is not only asleep at the wheel, it's simply, you know, from, I worked for the Pentagon for 28 years. The amount of people in the American government who were interested in culture and how the other side is thinking, if you want to negotiate, if you want to do anything with the other side, you better understand how the other side is thinking. We simply, we don't care. We don't think it's important. And the result is we can do things which exactly as Khalid was saying before, it's like 
if you can't trust the mayor, you've got to find somebody else. And of course, you're going to bow down to those people who are your enemies because you have no choice. Um, and, and that's how China and Russia are going to get into this whole thing. If America's not there, do you think the Saudis really want to denominate some of their deals in either the, the in yuan and the, the Chinese currency or, or, or in the Russian currency? They don't want this at all. They want America to lead. All these people in the Middle East want America to lead. And if America don't, doesn't, isn't prepared to do that, they got to find other options. And that will bring about pure hell in this region. Khaled, the, the shaming of America by uh, the Saudi-Iranian um, re-embrace, let's call it, or momentary re-embrace, does that uh, make it impossible uh, for, for Saudi Arabia to turn around and do a deal with Israel if the United States um, steps up and provides them with the type of non-NATO ally and other security guarantees that they're looking for? Well, the way many Arab analysts see it right now is that Saudi Arabia has made a choice for now. Saudi Arabia wants to be aligned with Iran and with other regional forces. It has abandoned the option of making peace with Israel or joining the Abraham Accords. That's how it's being interpreted, at least. Of course, I don't know what the intentions of uh, MBS are or the Saudi government uh, you know what they are planning. We saw that you know they can surprise us, uh, but for now, when I look at the reactions, and there are very strong reactions in the Arab world uh, to this move, you know, people welcoming it, saying, "Well, if it's not the end of the Abraham Accords, at least it prevents Saudi Arabia from joining the Abraham Accords." Because the biggest fear was that if Saudi Arabia would join the Abraham Accords, other Arab countries would follow suit. So these are the voices that are worrying me right now and should worry all of us. Uh, number one, the fact that Saudi Arabia uh, is no longer seen as, you know, uh, tilting towards Israel or uh, being in favor of the Abraham Accords, that interpretation. And number two, the severe blow to America's prestige and standing. Uh, you know, America is now seen as weak. America is seen as uh, hesitant. America is seen as incapable of uh, uh, dealing with it or protecting and uh, appeasing its uh, Arab allies. Many uh, writers in the Arab press in Saudi Arabia and in the Gulf have, in the past three and four years, accused the Biden administration of abandoning its friends, uh, of turning its back on its Arab allies uh, in favor of promoting relations with Iran. In favor of appeasing Iran, we heard all those voices. By the way, what's interesting that many of these voices came from Saudi Arabia itself, from very senior Saudi uh, columnists uh, attacking the Biden administration, saying, "Why are you trying? Why are you uh, trying to revive the peace agreement, uh, the nuclear deal? Sorry, with Iran? Why are you reaching out to Iran? Why are you uh, not, you know, taking tough measures against Iran? Look, Iran is threatening our security, our national interests." And they saw that the Biden administration was not really doing anything. They, they saw that the Biden administration was sitting on the fence when the Houthis were attacking Saudi Arabia from Yemen. The Houthis are the Iranian-backed uh, militia. They saw that you know the Houthis were firing rockets at the United Arab Emirates. And again, we didn't see any strong reaction from the Americans. So this is what I mean when I say that America's standing in, in the Arab world has been seriously 
uh, damage. And this will have long-term repercussions because it will open the door for Russia, for China, which are being praised right, right, uh, right now, by the way, by Hamas and Hezbollah. Uh, they're saying, look, this is a great achievement for Russia. Because there were, uh, sorry, for China, because China managed to broker this agreement between Saudi Arabia and, uh, and Iran. So they're welcoming, uh, you know, China's uh, role. Last night, uh, President Mahmoud Abbas uh, received the Chinese envoy to the Middle East peace process. I mean, we didn't even hear about such an envoy in the past. So you have the Chinese, uh, you know, br bursting into an open door that the Americans have left over here. The Americans have lost much of their credibility in the region as a result of the policies of the Biden administration. You know, there are a couple things here. One, this is a Ramadan gift of unimaginable proportions to the Palestinian Authority because uh, what it what it appears now is that, that Saudi Arabia has just legitimized Iranian backing for Palestinian terror of all sorts and varieties. And that reminds us that the United States policy of what they call two-state solution, two-state solution in every other sentence in their uh, in foreign policy declarations has also just self-destructed. You know, the irony is that the Palestinian Authority was the first to welcome the Saudi-Iranian agreement. Now... Uh, the, the Palestinian Authority had very tense relations with Iran because Iran is supporting their rivals in Hamas and Islamic Jihad. So the Palestinian Authority is actually inviting Iran to, uh, to meddle more in internal Palestinian affairs and by doing so undermine the same Palestinian Authority that is now welcoming the return of Iran to the Muslim fold. There's something very important that the Palestinian factions are also saying. They're saying this is the first step towards uniting the ummah, the, the Muslim community. You see, there's always this belief or this dream of having, of uniting the Arabs and the Muslims under one banner, under one leader, the, under one Salah al-Din al-Ayyubi. The dream is that one day when the Muslims get their act together, they, f they will form one army and they will march on Israel and do the job. So this is what they are saying. They're saying this is a serious step and a first step in the right direction. Harold, you know, wh what... It's the wh first step, not only in that, but it's the first step in, in, in eventually taking over the entire world, making the entire world Muslim. Once a territory becomes Muslim, it must remain Muslim forever, forever from a, a Sharia Islamic holy law point of view. And America is making this happen. That's the bottom line. So we're, I heard this morning on the, uh, on the radio former Mossad chief uh, uh, Ephraim Alevi say that he sees the possibility of Saudi Arabia's leveraged up position in the region, from his point of view, as a doorway to, to help Israel enter uh, into discussions uh, with, with Iran. Um, that is definitely an opposite. That's definitely an alternative view um, to uh, to to those that are are deeply entrenched in Islamic and Near Eastern culture. Halid, what's your sense of that of of uh, Ephraim Alevi's reading? You know, I, I also heard that interview on my way uh, to the studio over here on the radio, and honestly, I was surprised, and I also smiled. I smiled because I don't know what planet uh, Mr. Halevi is living on. The Iranian regime is, an, is the enemy of the Iranian people. That's number one. And 
if many Arabs are telling you we don't trust the Iranian regime and we don't want to deal with them and the only solution is regime change, what are you going to negotiate with a regime that calls you the small Satan that is saying this Zionist entity has no right to exist, our goal is to eliminate this Zionist entity? What are you going to talk to Iran about when they are supporting Hamas and Hezbollah and other terror groups in this region and calling for more uh, terror attacks against Israel. So I would be very careful about, you know, making such statements. Uh, I don't know what uh, his... I had a conversation um, last night with the senior advisor to uh, Reza Pahlavi, uh, the son of the former, of the Shah, former Shah. Uh, and uh, did I say that right, Harold? Reza Pahlavi? Yeah, the this, this son. He's the son, yeah, the yeah, former yeah, Shah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, I'm just not going to use his name because I didn't ask permission to, to say it uh, publicly. We had a long conversation on the, on the, uh, oh. on the phone. And uh, he, he noted that this is just a major win uh, for the regime against the revolution. In fact, it was a, it was, it was a terrific way. Uh, uh, Iran's chess, I'm sorry, checker capability, sorry, Iran's chess capability was just proven uh, once again is to move, uh, uh, to move its pieces on the, on the Middle East chessboard and distract uh, from the growing revolution in Iran and the brave women and men that are risking and losing their lives for freedom uh, and calling out to the to the free world to help them and they're not getting the kind of help they need but from an Iranian regime point of view this was a big V for victory uh, in terms of turning attention away from uh, from the possibility of regime change it's 100% correct I, I the, when you were talking before Khalid about the uh, uh, Ephraim Halevi, the former head of Mossad, I don't know what planet, exactly as you said, I totally agree with you. This is, look, I know something about the Muslim world. It's as if someone comes to me and asks me a question about Fiji, something I know nothing about. One would have hoped that someone who ran an organization like Mossad would have had at least people around them who could explain to them how Iranians think. Iranians think strategically. They're sort of like the Chinese. They do things which they don't, they're thinking eight chess moves ahead. Your chess analogy is perfect, Dan. That's how they think. In America, we barely play checkers, uh, and which, which doesn't require the sophistication, the brain that it does for uh, chess. No, um, and, and we do this to our detriment. But that's it looks like saying. the Chinese are also playing checkers and, and chess, chess together. Chess, they're both they're chess. They're playing chess. They move the knight. Uh, they, they move the right uh, two spots up the front. And, and in fact, the, the the really brings to mind that the Chinese were watching very carefully when President Obama handed the keys to the Syrian chemical weapons program to the Russians. And this looks like a type of copy paste uh, move by the Chinese uh, Communist Party to, uh, to what its, uh, former, its former Soviet uh, co-religionists, if you would, if you will, uh, had uh, the, the move that they had taken with the door being opened by none other than, than, uh, than President Biden's former boss. Well, look, both Iran and China are ancient civilizations. They have a lot of experience with invaders, and they have long ago developed ways of handling this. They understand the world the same. I remember when I lived in Iran, 
there were Chinese visited, and you would say, when I lived under, in Iran, it was under the Shah. And the Shah was definitely on the American side. But you could see the way they interacted, the Chinese and Iranians. They simply understood each other. They were, they're surrounded by bad actors, as they see it, by nomads who come in and destroy the civilization. And they know, therefore, they know exactly how to deal with them. And America, again, sadly, is clueless. There, if you look at the people under the Obama administration, and um, under the Biden administration, they're the same people dealing with Iran. And I would just want to say one, th uh, one other thing, and it's extremely important. When Obama and Kerry, uh, Secretary of State Kerry, negotiated, or if I would prefer saying bowed and bent over to the Iranians um, for the JCPOA, the Iranian-American, really that's what it was, agreement on uh, the, the nuclear deal. Um, the more we gave in, it was interesting to watch the cartoons in Iranian newspapers. Uh, whether we like it or not, or it's politically correct or not, dark skin in the Middle East is not a positive thing. And Obama, the more we gave in in the United States, the darker he became in Iranian cartoons. And more also, when uh, John Kelly, the Secretary of State, whatever chief negotiator, whatever he, the exact title was, um, he broke his leg during the, uh, during the negotiations. And all of a sudden, he's appearing every time they give in. He's appearing in cartoons in Iranian newspapers as cr on crutches, and that's shameful to be on crutches. And the more they give in, the bigger the crutches became. Please, it's so simple to understand these things, but you got to want to. And once you understand that you must un apply that thinking, if you do X in a chess move, what is your opponent going to do? You've got to think this through. And if... If I had, I, I've been retired from the Pentagon for, for 13 years already, but if I were helping making decisions, I would say now is the time to up the pressure because in the Middle East, everybody, and that's definitely the, the Iranians, they respect strength. Come let us reason together May is a nice Western principle. You give a little, I give a little. But in the Middle East, the only time that you have negotiations are when there is a victor and a vanquished. And the victor basically dictates the terms how the vanquished lives. It That's how, it. Khaled, how, how does this position Israel uh, opposite uh, the Sunni Arab world um, in, in the sense that it looks like the same Israel that the Gulf states turned to after Prime Minister Netanyahu's 2016 speech to join houses of Congress uh, congratulating uh, the prime minister, it's it's not broadly known uh, in the in the Western discourse that in fact Gulf countries called Prime Minister Netanyahu and and uh, Ambassador Dermer at the time to congratulate them on Israel's fortitude, on its courage to stand up against the Iranian regime. Where is Israel, and how is Israel positioned now in the Arab mind, in your view? Well, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, Many Arabs see the Saudi-Iranian rapprochement or the uh, restoration of relations between these two countries as a major blow to the Israeli government. Some even in the Arab world see it as a response to the policies 
of the far-right uh, government in Israel. They're saying the Saudis would have not embarked on this step were it not for their disappointment with the Israeli government, with the policies of the, uh, of the uh, coalition. You know, they, they listen to Ben Gvir, Itamar Ben Gvir, they listen to Bitzalel Smotrich, they see the actions, and they have given up. The Saudis, according to uh, these Arabs, believe that, you know, this is not the right time for them to join the Abraham Accords because of the presence of this new government in power, the new BB government. This is not my opinion. This is what the, the people... This is the discourse. This, yeah, is, the, this, this is, is the Arab yeah. discourse. So, but, but we're hearing different views also, I mean. There are others who are saying, look, it's not really going to affect uh, uh, you know, Israel's standing in the Middle East. Israel will continue to maintain good relations with the, uh, with the United Arab Emirates, with Bahrain, and possibly you know, Sudan will uh, upgrade its relations with uh, Israel and things like that. So you, you, we're hearing different views, and don't forget, we're only like 48 hours before the, uh, after that uh, announcement was made, and everyone's trying to make sense out of it. And most people are, or everyone is, you know, trying to interpret it in their own way. Uh, but what, at the end of the day, when I look at the Palestinians, the consensus among the Palestinians is that this does serve the interests of the Palestinian cause. So it really makes Israel's position more <clears throat> complex because on the one hand, uh, Iran is, uh, the Iranian regime is very close to reaching the uh, enrichment of uranium at 90%, which is military-grade uranium, which means that if they decided to, you know, the word is breakout and, and, uh, uh, and uh, uh, put together uh, a bomb, they could do that in a matter of weeks. That puts a lot of pressure on the uh, Israeli government to make uh, tough security decisions. On the other hand, with, with the perception of America being particularly weak, it looks like Israel is out there really on its own. And you know, the timing, Dan, is, uh, and Harold, is very interesting. I mean, we're a few days before the holy month of Ramadan, and we're already seeing threats from Hamas and Islamic Jihad. And this agreement emboldens them. It empowers them. It gives them more energy. Uh, we see an escalation even in their rhetoric right now. Uh, and let's see what happens. I mean, uh, you know, it's, the timing is very bad for Israel, for stability in the Middle East. Don't forget other players in the Middle East, Egypt, Jordan. We haven't heard from them yet. This is a blow to Egypt, by the way. This, this agreement is a blow to the Egyptians who have outlawed the Hezbollah, who have, uh, you know, have uh, aligned with the Saudis. Uh, uh, but... Uh, they have taken a very tough position against uh, the Iranian regime, and uh, I think it. Uh, it were, Harold, what, and what do you think? And it's good for Qatar. And it's good for Qatar. Yeah. And Harold, what do you think it puts the Egyptians? Oh, it's a it's a loss. But the <clears> question <throat> is, uh, uh, will really the bottom line will America come to its senses? Because in the end, Egypt is in the American camp, and so. Look, it's a blow to everybody here, not to the Egyptians. Qatar is, is a huge victor here. But America doesn't seem to want to realize what Qatar is. It, you know, it gives America a, a big base and all that. And they, oh, the Americans, oh, we can't do anything because we'll lose the base. The Qataris know exactly what they were doing. You know, this is interesting. What you guys are saying, I think what we're all saying is this Saudi-Iranian regime re-engagement is actually a blow to the post-World War II Middle East order as we've known it 
and it is essentially a celebration, a pivot, a it re-energizes the um, what's called the access of, of evil. Uh, you you said evil. Mm -hmm. I was going to say the access of. Uh, of terror-supporting organizations, of radical organizations, yep. of, of... Who are of now evil. celebrating. Yes. Yes. Yeah. When you see these guys celebrating, Hezbollah, Hamas, Islamic Jihad, Qatar, the Muslim Brotherhood, there is good reason to be worried. I think it's important to take a look at... The, the United States <clears throat> policy has focused on the Palestinians constantly. And this... Uh, the, go according to this discussion today. This is the outcome of an overfocus on the Palestinians because you ignore the forest for the trees. To me, if you care for the Palestinians, then what you do is what Netanyahu was doing. You go out to eventually get to the Palestinians. They, uh, otherwise, all you're going to do, you're giving the Palestinian leadership a veto of absolutely everything. So there's no incentive for the Palestinians to come to the table with the Israelis. But if everybody is there, no one wants to kill the Palestinians. The Arabs don't want to kill the Palestinians. Frankly, some, some Arabs really do want, they just want the Palestinians to disappear because the, the, you know, certainly among the Saudis, and my experience also in Iraq, the hatred of the Palestinians is huge. But America is their protector. This, if America really cares about the Palestinians, you do, you go out, you make the Abraham Accords, you bring more into it, and then the Palestinians, you can give them some hope. That is the people, but the leadership has no interest in this. It, it's sad. This is a Middle East reset, no question about it. And, uh, and how do you have a, a, a final comment as you, as you, uh, as you think about uh, these issues now? Well, I mean, I, you know, I tend to agree with my friend uh, Harold regarding the Palestinians. Uh, uh, I think the U.S. policy right now towards the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is sending the wrong message to other players in the region. The Biden administration is giving the Palestinian leadership a free pass. It is, uh, instead of applying pressure on the Palestinian Authority to abide by the Oslo Accords, uh, which means to prevent terrorism, which means to uh, disarm all these mi militias and gangs, uh, the Biden administration is taking the opposite direct, uh, approach by saying, okay, let's build, an, let's, uh, build another, uh, let's add more uh, officers to the Palestinian security forces, let's train more officers. We've been to these movies before. You know, the solution is not in the number of Palestinian security forces. The Palestinian security, the Palestinian Authority has more than 70,000 Palestinian uh, officers in the West Bank. Uh, and all it needs to do is just issue an order to these forces to go and uh, uh, disarm all these militias and uh, armed groups. So what we are lacking in is not in uh, officers, we're lacking in a will. I don't want to say capability because if the, uh, Mahmoud Abbas has proven that when he wants, he can do something. If you have enough policemen uh, to prevent uh, 150 Palestinians from holding a press conference in Ramallah to demand reform, democracy, and new elections, why not use these same police officers uh, to stop the gunmen on the streets of Jenin, Nablus? This is what the Biden administration needs to understand, that it's not about you know additional forces. It's not about taking them to Jordan and training them as commandos. They will come back. 
But they're not going to go after the gunmen on the streets of Nablus and Jenin. They're not stupid. And President Abbas is not going to commit suicide by doing so. So, you know, once again, the Americans need to revise their policies and see, you know, what's going wrong with their uh, policy towards the, this conflict. No less than tectonic shifts in our Middle East, Harold. Uh, Harold. Sadly, and let's just hope they're uh, minor earthquakes. Time will tell. Minor earthquakes, time will tell. The need for political will. That's, an, 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 I think, an important message uh, for, for, uh, for parties uh, wanting a stable uh, and freer uh, Middle East. It, it looks like the ball is really in Israel's court on an, in, a number of different, uh, in a number of different ways. And we're going to we're gonna follow this and, uh, and uh, continue to look at the Middle East from the inside out. And want to thank uh, Khaled Abutuame, co-host of uh, our Middle East, al Shak al Lana, and Dr. Harold Rode, uh, 28-year veteran of the uh, United States uh, Department of Defense, an, an expert on Turkey, uh, having lived in Iran for a number of years, and uh, the rest of the Middle East. Harold, thanks for joining us, and thank you for joining us, our, our listening audience. I hope that I hope the podcast hasn't caused any uh, car accidents on the way to wherever you're going, but... <laughs> <laughs> in any event, I hope it, the, the insights uh, the insights were uh, a contribution to your, to your thinking, to our thinking. I certainly learned something, as I always do, from you, Khaled, and, and Harold, uh, from our discussion. So thank you all for joining us. We'll look forward to seeing you in a week from now.